Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Oh, gracious and merciful God, we praise you. Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are mighty, yet you step down and walk with us. You are holy, yet you die for us to wash us clean and dwell within us. You are all-knowing, yet you speak to us in words that we can understand, and you give us your spirit to help us understand when we can't. We thank you for teaching us your ways. We ask that you would continue to do so so that we might walk in them. We thank you, Lord, for this precious gift of communion that we were able to partake in this morning. May you increase our faith all the more as we remember your sacrifice and as we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb where we're glorified and seated at your table. We thank you for this fellowship of believers here, for the faith that you have, you have given, my brothers and sisters. We thank you for the gift of music that we are able to come and bring you our offering of praise and celebration with beautiful sounds. Lord, we praise you and we're humbled that you would save us when we were at our worst. Lord, we want to, to lift before you now the sick, and the weary, the burnout, the pre- depressed, the anxious. Lord, we ask, bring healing. Lift up our drooping heads and strengthen our shaky knees and set our eyes on you and remind us of who you are and, and all of the wonderful promises that you've given us. So that instead of listening to ourselves, we're speaking your promises. We're rehearsing the gospel over and over and over. Lord, I pray that you would help us as the body of Christ to do that for each other. We're weak. We forget the good, the good news and the promises. We need our brothers and sisters to speak those to us over and over. Give us patience to do so and humility to receive it when we need to hear it. Lord, we ask that you would break us free from sin. You tell us in your word we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're now slaves to righteousness. Lord, our spirit is willing and our our flesh is very weak, as we all know, and we admit this morning we cannot live free apart from you. We admit that we fail to believe all your promises So create in us a faith that cries out, we believe but help our unbelief. Lord, we lift before you village missions this morning. We ask that you would grant wisdom to the leaders as they are um, organizing everything that they organize, Lord, to reach the lost, to, to staff churches that are less fortunate, Lord. And I just ask that you would help in fundraising and help in Give them wisdom and what to do and how to do it, Lord, and how to raise or 
to encourage pastors who are, who are uh, down and out and um, needing help and encouragement, Lord. And we ask that you would strengthen the pastors in the field and raise up workers of the, for the harvest to fill the empty pulpits in churches all across the United States and Canada. Lord, we also want to lift up before you this morning Shoreline Community Church and Pastor Mike. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen them and, and help him to proclaim the word so that the weak are strengthened and uh, the church is doing what you call them to do and the lost are receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you again for multiple churches proclaiming your word in this area. And Lord, we ask that you would move in this room in a mighty way this morning, that you would save the lost by your gospel, that you would remind the believer of the gospel and our call to proclaim your word faithfully and clearly. I ask that you would help me to do so this morning. Holy Spirit, open our ears so that we may hear. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. The rest of you, I have to say I'm proud of you, adjusting so seamlessly to the change in seating. And if you didn't, thanks for not telling me. Also, adjusting to the fact that I'm wearing a tie, I had several people ask me, what's wrong? I think I went to the wrong church. I told Nikki last night, I'm just going to put a tie on so people ask me what's wrong. Uh, oh, good morning, church. So good to be here. So good to look at Acts, finish what we couldn't finish last week. Um, so last week, we started looking at the text. Uh, the first half of the passage, we looked at uh, Acts 10, verses 1 through 33, and, and we saw this wonderful picture of God working in two directions uh, to, to create the symphony of salvation, is what we called it last week. So he's on one hand, he's preparing the heart of the, the lost to hear the gospel, and he's putting uh, things in their life so that they, they come to know him. He's convicting them of sins. They come to the only one who can forgive them of their sin. And on the other side, he's, he's working in the heart of the believer and he's correcting all of these wrong ideas that we have. And he's creating in us this desire for people to know Jesus Christ. And when these two come together, it's like this the crescendo in a, in a symphony. At that moment, the gospel is delivered and the gospel is received and, and we just see in the word that heavens explode in rejoicing. And we get to be a part of that. There's great joy when one turns to the gospel. There's great joy in being able to deliver the gospel message. And by God's grace, we're going to see this morning that the Lord establishes very clear evidences that the gospel has been received. And that's important for us as individual believers to, to know that we all have, we've, I know, we've all probably come to the time in our lives where we say, am I really a believer? Do I actually believe what I say I believe? 
So being anchored in the gospel is going to give us these assurances that yes, we are truly saved by grace. We are truly saved by the work of Jesus Christ. These evidences are also important for the church so that we can make sure that those who do confess Jesus Christ are truly confessing him as Savior. They truly understand this is what we believe. This is what we are called to do because it has eternal consequences. There's a lot in the world that sounds a lot like Christianity that's just a hair off. And it has eternal consequences because it's not the gospel. So we get this wonderful picture this morning from, from Peter. He's going to begin with the gospel call as he goes to Cornelius' house. and They've called him. They've went and got him. They said, this is the vision that we've had. And we, God told us to come get you. And you come to the house of Cornelius. And we need to hear the message that you have. They actually say in verse 33, uh, Cornelius says, I sent for you at once. And you've been kind, to come, uh, kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. We're here to hear what you have for us. And Peter just presents the gospel in this wonderfully plain way. He just lays out eight gospel truths that we're going to look out this morning. Um, and the first thing, he kind of is, his own mind is blown, but gospel truth number one is that God shows no partiality. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. He comes to the Gentiles. He's been with Jesus for years. He's seen the crucifixion. He's seen the resurrected Christ. And he comes and he says, I get it. Or at least I'm starting to get it. What he did was so much bigger than what we were expecting. It was so much bigger than he was just saving this group of Jews. It's, it's worldwide. He finally understands what Jesus was proclaiming in Acts 1.8, that they are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Peter says, I get it. The ends of the earth is not just the Jews that have gone to the ends of the earth. It's, it's God is saving the Gentiles too. He's doing what he promised to do. And if you remember who wrote this book, it was Luke, conveniently. We've been talking about Luke for the last three years. Luke is writing to Theophilus, a Greek not a Jew. And this is so important for Luke to establish for him that even a Greek and even a Gentile and even a Jew can come to Jesus Christ. He's saying, Theophilus, you can have certainty that the gospel that you were taught, it says if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved, is true. And how incredible is this story of redemption that we have as the church, that God is expanding his kingdom even to the ends of the earth, all the way to Hauser, 
and Coos Bay. Oh, we can't go any further to the coast. This includes all nations and all tongues. So look at verse 35. He says, but in every nation, in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now we have to be really careful with this. Because we could take this and say, all you have to do is fear God, do what's right. You don't even have to worry about Jesus. Just as long as you fear God and do what's right, you'll be okay. But this is not saying that God saves people based on their works apart from hearing about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In verse 11 of chapter, or cha- verse 14 of chapter 11 in Acts, he says, He, Peter, will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So up to that point, even though Cornelius was a very good guy and he was a God-fearer and he did everything right, he still had to hear the message of Jesus Christ to be saved. Scripture rules out any kind of salvation by works. We see Paul says in Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. It's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed is anyone who at any moment fails at any little part of the law. Romans 3.23, Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. If you're reading the Old Testament, by the time you get to the end, you realize we need a new heart. We need someone to do something for us. And then, boom, Jesus bursts in on the scene. He says, I'm that guy that answers all of those questions. So this is not saying that people are saved by works apart from hearing about Jesus Christ. This is also not saying that people are saved by the atonement of Jesus on the cross if they realize it or not. That's called universalism. That is not biblical. We have to hear and receive and believe in Jesus to be saved. As a Christian church, we confess, one, that Jesus is the only Savior I am not, you are not. We make crummy gods. We cannot save ourselves. We confess Jesus is the only Savior. In order to be saved, you must know you are a sinner and you need salvation. You have been exposed and you realize, I need help. And you need to know that Jesus and his death and his resurrection provide the basis for salvation. And number four, you place your personal faith and trust in Jesus as the one and only Savior. We need to know that. Jesus reminds us uh, in the very popular verse, John 3.16, oh, we love John 3.16, but we need to hear 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. We need that message to be saved. 
So what is Peter saying in verse 35? What is he saying when he says, every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him? First, he's saying God and Jesus Christ has set the gospel free to go to the nations. It is going to the ends of the earth. And he's saying that uh, fearing God and doing what is right, even though it doesn't bring salvation, it brings a further revelation of God to act in salvation through Jesus Christ. So what did all those words just mean? Cornelius was looking for God. He feared God. He says, I I believe you are God. I believe Yahweh is the one and only, the creator. I believe that, and I want to follow him, but I don't, I'm unclean, and I can't. Just like Isaiah says, woe is me. My eyes have seen the king. I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. And then the angel takes the coal and atones for his sin. The same that Cornelius is brought to that moment that I am unclean. But Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. We have this glorious message that God shows no partiality. Those who seek him, find him. He doesn't say, no, you're too far gone. He doesn't say, no, you can't come to me. He says, all who come to me are saved. Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And that leads to gospel truth number two. Jesus is the long-expected Messiah who brings peace. Look at verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. What's the word that was sent to Israel? Look at the text, verse 36. The word that was sent to Israel is the preaching of good news of peace through Jesus Christ. That peace has come. That that. God is making peace. We see this in Isaiah chapter 9. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. We, We can just look at our own land and say, I know we live in a land of darkness. There is a lot of darkness around us. But Jesus is called, we see, for us, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government. So his government is going out like to the ends of the earth. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. In Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings news, who publishes peace. So Jesus comes in and he is on the scene in this land of darkness and he is proclaiming the good news 
of the kingdom of God. He's publishing peace. And what peace is he bringing? I need you to flip to Ephesians 2 with me. Because Paul gives a very clear picture of the peace that Jesus is bringing. Ephesians chapter 2. I was going to put it on the screen and I realized it's 11 verses. That would be too many to flip through and I would get lost. So Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, okay? So he's saying, so far, you did not have peace with the people of God, and you did not have peace with God. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By the blood of Christ, Paul is saying, the hostility between us and God and the hostility between us and others is being broken down. By abolishing the law of the commandments, verse 15, expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross by killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Jesus is bringing peace vertically between us and God, repairing the relationship that sin broke, that we are leaving him and, and following creation, and he makes peace, he gets rid of that, he pays for that sin, so that now we are at peace with the God of the universe. And Jesus is bringing peace horizontally between all of us, repairing the earthly relationships that are broken and sin. You see, the gospel is so much more than just getting into heaven. It's so much more than this pie in the sky idea or this get out of hell free card. It is God writing his relationship with humanity right now and humanity's relationship with one another. This is what Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. 
in John 17. I do not ask for these only, not, the, not only the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we're living at peace with God and we're living at peace with one another, the world around us believes that God sent Jesus to save them of their sins because they see this unlikely bunch of people gathering together and loving each other. And they say, what is wrong? So as the church, we need to hear very clearly, we better not make divisions among believers where the Lord died to bring those together in him. That's the gospel, that Jesus brings peace with himself and with each other. Which leads us to the third gospel truth. Jesus is Lord of all. Peter just kind of throws it in there. We're back to Acts 11 or 10. He says, He's bringing, publishing good news of peace through Jesus Christ. By the way, just in case you wanted to know, he's the Lord of all. That's the amplified version, but we get it. That's what he's saying. We're no longer Lord over our own lives. Our loyalties have been shifted from the earthly kingdoms that are set up to divide and destroy and, and celebrate and discourage uh, or encourage divisions. And we have been taken from that and been placed in the kingdom of God where Jesus is uniting all things in himself. And we cannot say that Jesus is Lord of our eternity if he's not Lord of our present. There is no gospel that allows for us to receive salvation apart from dying to self and following Jesus Christ. This was huge for Peter to say to the Gentiles. It was huge for him to say that God is Lord of all, even you, he's saying. Just as Paul echoes in Romans, for there is no distinction no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But don't be fooled. He's Lord over rulers and authorities that reject him now also. We see in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Why are they coming against the one true king? And, and we see God's really stressed about it. He sits in the heaven and laughs. <laughs> He's not worried about it. But one day he knows that all people, believers and unbelievers, will bow their knee in recognition that Jesus Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords. But that day will be too late for a lot of people. So we see we have to preach the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. Which leads us to gospel truth four. Jesus is the anointed one. Look at verses 37 through 39. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea. Beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed... How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit 
and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witness, witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We'll stop there and pick that next one up in just a second. We see Peter says he is the anointed one. He is the one that God said, I'm going to be doing all of this work through. He's the one that God prophesied through Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. The purpose of his anointing and power was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And listen, church, Jesus is the only hope that we have to offer people. Money uh, is going to be, uh, it's going to fade. It's only temporary. People will fail. If you follow, you say, Greg is the answer. I promise you I'm not. I will fail you today, more than likely. Comfort flees. Food is very temporary. But Jesus offers true life. He anoints us as the church with the same anointing. Well, not the same anointing as Christ. That would be blasphemous. Uh, but he anoints us with his spirit to spread the gospel. But you, church, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And he does this by becoming the cursed one. Look at verse 39, the second half. They put him, Jesus, to death by hanging him on a tree. Now, hanging him on a tree, it's a reference back to Deuteronomy. As cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. But we were the cursed ones in sin. We were the cursed ones. We were lost without hope. But Jesus redeems us from that curse. He takes that curse so that we might receive the blessing that he wants his people to have. We see in Galatians, Christ redeemed us, bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In his death, he took our curse upon himself and gave to us his righteousness. For those who believe in Jesus, there's now no condemnation. There's no curse. God's wrath has been satisfied on the cross. And by his blood, we're brought near, we're washed clean, we're made righteous. We don't always feel righteous, right? <laughs> like, I sin this morning and don't feel righteous. I have to correct my mind, but then we come to the Lord's Supper and we're reminded, no, it's not because of you, it's because of Christ. Righteous. And not, 
And he doesn't stay dead. He doesn't just die for our sin, and that's the end of the story. He's the resurrected one. Verse 40, but God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He doesn't just become the curse for us. He defeats death. He defeats sin. He, he, and, and, and resurrection is not just, oh, we get to be resurrected one day, but resurrection gives us hope today. Not just one day down the line, I'm gonna, I'm gonna benefit from Christ's resurrection that's only dealing with afterlife. No, it's dealing with now. Satan is no longer Lord over our lives. He's been defeated and replaced. Jesus Christ is reigning in your life now if you believe in him. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus himself partook of the same things that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, by being raised from the grave. Our Savior, Christ Jesus, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You're a son and daughter of the king Now, God has given you rights of the kingdom now, today. Access to the king in prayer. Direction from the king. His spirit dwells in you. He he gives you direction today. Freedom from your enemies because he's defending you today. He says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is given to you today, not later. But since Jesus is Lord over all, he's the anointed one, he's the resurrected one, we see that he's given the right to be the judge of all also. All will stand before him in judgment and you're either going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. So we need to ask ourselves, am I ready to meet the judge of the living and the dead? Are you relying on your works the works of Jesus Christ? Are you thinking, I can pay for sin or I can excuse my sin when I get up there because I'm a pretty good arguer. I can do it, I think. I can convince God that I'm a pretty good person. Or I'll confess it right before I die. I'll do that. That's a, that's a good plan. It's not. Are you confessing that you are a sinner in need of a savior? No one will stand before Jesus and claim I knew you if they spent their life denying him. He very clearly says, if you deny me in this life, I will deny you in the next. But there's this great hope that we have. There's this great hope that Peter gives and lays before Cornelius and his family, the the hope that I'm laying before you this morning. It's very simple. It's not overcomplicated. The eighth gospel truth is all who believe in Jesus are saved. Verse 43, all to him, all the prophets bear witness that anyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness 
through his name. Don't leave here today thinking, I'll do that later. Let's talk. I would love to talk to you. But we got two more points to get through, right? When the gospel is presented, and I wanted to spend the majority of our time this morning clearly laying out who Jesus is and what he has done, but when it's presented, the way that we know it's been received is it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. We look at the text, verse 44 and 45. While Peter was still saying these things, so he's in the middle of his sermon, he's still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised uh, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. All who heard the gospel message in Cornelius' house received the Holy Spirit. This moment is called by some scholars the Pentecost of the, the Gentile world. This is the same kind of thing that happened in Acts 2 with the Jews. It's happening to the Gentiles and they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. To be baptized by the Spirit is this divine signature that you have been sealed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are now a child of God. You are anointed now to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to go and tell people, even I was saved. Even me, a Gentile, was saved by the grace of God. And the Jewish believers, their minds are blown. They're e- they're, even the Gentiles are being saved. They, even they received the Holy Spirit. Even they are being brought into the people of God. I think, church, we're not amazed enough at the grace of God when he saves his people. We often have this ho-hum attitude of, oh, well, that's nice. Welcome to the club. Come on Sunday, it's really good. It's, it's a miracle when God saves someone. He is, he is creating light and darkness. He's creating a new person. This is God bringing the unlikely, the sinner, the politician, the drug addict, the rich man, the homeless, the prostitute, me, you, into the kingdom of God. It is wonderful Brought in, and not only brought in, not only taken to heaven eventually, but made a royal priesthood. That's who you are. You're a people for his own possession. You're a holy nation. This is amazing. And we just look at it and say, thank you. See you next Sunday. What was given as evidence or what was the evidence here? We, they start to speak in tongues and this is an unfortunate passage that people get to and they want to argue about unfortunate doctrine. Um, but the Jews are hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So the first thing, the first evidence was they start to speak in tongues. And, and whether, whether this is another language or something else, the text is not dealing with that here. It's important that we understand that what is going on in Acts up to this point is that the Holy Spirit is promised 
in Joel, way back in Joel, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the nations and they're going to prophesy. And the reason they're going to prophesy is so that um, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the purpose of what's going on here. So if it's anything outside of that, it's wrong to say this is what that means. We know, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and you're going to have power, and you're going to be my witness, and you're going to proclaim the good news all the way to the ends of the earth. That's the reason I'm giving you my Spirit, so that you tell people about me. So the focus is proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the evidence that you have the Spirit dwelling in you is your desire to tell people the good news. I have a desire. You might not know how. That's okay. You might be scared. That's okay. But you have this desire to tell people of Jesus. Like, I just want people to know what's happened to me. That I've been saved. I've been delivered. I've been set free. I want people to know that. Because God puts his spirit in you, and it's not for something useless. He puts his spirit in you, and the spirit's job is to bear witness of Jesus Christ. That's what his heart is, his desire is doing. I want to proclaim Jesus Christ. So whenever we have the spirit, we want to proclaim Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, do I have that desire? If not, why don't I have that desire? Have I forgotten my first love? Have I, have I grown foggy on the gospel? Have I forgotten the gospel truths? Have I been quenching the Spirit so much that I can't even hear him anymore? Because if I have the Spirit, my desire should be to tell people. If that's the case, repent this morning. It, today is the day. Don't harden your hearts. Turn and listen. Let's pray at the end of the service. Let's cry out together that the Spirit of God will wake you up. And He promises to do so. The other evidence is that they are extolling God. So they proclaim the good news and they worship God. That's, that's the evidence that we have the Spirit of God in us. I want to tell people, and I want to tell God how awesome he is. I want to tell people how awesome he is, and tell God how awesome he is. Every day of my life, I want to sing praise. I want to magnify his name. The evidence that we have the Spirit is that we want to proclaim his name in song, in poetry, in art, in teaching, whatever it is. I just want to, just want to worship you. And the more we deepen our understanding of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, the more I want to worship. The deeper I understand how sinful I was and Jesus came and got me and saved me, the more I want to say thank you for not leaving me. The more I realize that he is setting you free, the more I want to say thank you for not leaving us or forsaking us. The more we know Jesus, the more overcome we are with worship. So we see the gospel call, we see the Holy Spirit's seal, and we see the gospel accepted. And I, by that I mean the recognition of the church that others have received and believed 
in the true gospel. The first recognition is the call to be baptized. Peter says, verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And obviously the answer came back, no. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism is the initiatory rite in Christianity. Peter calls the Jews, repent and be baptized. Repent and let people know you've repented. Philip tells the believers, be baptized. You're, You're a believer, be baptized. He tells the Ethiopian, be baptized. Actually, the Ethiopian says, I want to be baptized. (laughs) And here we see Peter calling the Gentiles, be baptized, show your faith. It's a sign that one is, that is repenting and wanting to follow Jesus Christ. It's announcing to brothers and sisters, I want to follow Jesus Christ. But it's not just this individual decision. It's the church's responsibility to ensure that the the one being baptized understands the gospel. We don't want to give false hope to someone. We want to make sure that they understand the gospel. That's why Peter clearly lays out the gospel. And he clearly has witnessed the Holy Spirit has fallen on them. They're proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They're worshiping the Lord. He asked those around him, is there any reason we shouldn't be baptizing these people? And they're crickets, I guess, because they don't have a response in here. And he says, okay, then be baptized. But once Peter is sure they understand the gospel, he says, be baptized. Other than confessing Jesus Christ as your savior, baptism is your first act of obedience. Is saying, Jesus, you told me to do this. I'm going to do it. To not be baptized is to ignore the command of Jesus Christ himself to be baptized. But to submit yourself to baptism is acknowledging before him and others, I'm denying myself and following Jesus. It's acknowledgement of the church. We're saying, you are following Jesus. We recognize that. You understand the gospel. We're welcoming you into the covenant community where we're going to help each other. And the second evidence for the church is that they actually want to learn. Verse 48, then they asked Peter to remain for some days. We see the same thing in Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. When one comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the knowledge is I want to know Jesus Christ. Like if someone saved me from drowning, I wouldn't just say thank you, see you later. I'm like, I want to know you. Why? I want, I want to just know who you are. I want to get to know you. I want to take you out to dinner. Our desire for the one who saved us, not just in this life, but for all eternity, should be, I want to know you. To realize, to understand your word, to know how to pray to you, to know what you desire. And Peter, or Cornelius asked Peter, stay. 
Teach us. You've been with Jesus. Teach us what he wants. Teach us what he desires. And if you say you're a believer, but you have no desire to follow Jesus or know Jesus, maybe you should think, why do I actually believe him? Do I actually know him? If you have no desire to follow him or learn from those who are placed in positions of leadership, you're not displaying signs of saving faith. Maybe you got caught up in emotional response and, and the preacher was exciting. <laughs> You're like, yeah, whatever he's got, I want. I want to have that. And, and they talked you into saying a prayer or something and when the smoke cleared, you realized Jesus was just this entertaining evening. I'm not really following him. And if that's the case, come this morning Repent, say, I want to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The third evidence is, is found in the testimony of others, and we see that Peter goes back and he tells the story all in Acts 11, as Mike read this morning, and we're not going to read again. It's a recapping of what happened in 10. Last week we went over it in depth. They call him to question, though, man, you were eating with the, with the uncircumcised people and those unclean people. A lot like what was told to Jesus in Luke 5, the Pharisees and the scribes that were grumbling at Jesus and his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Church, we need to be among unbelievers. How in the world would they come to hear the gospel if we don't take it to them? We're not gonna, we're less and less gonna attract them to come here. May we follow Jesus and Peter to the ends of the earth and testify to the grace of God. That's exactly what Peter does. I want to close with this. And really I want to close with this. Verse 17. In chapter 11. If then God gave the same gift to them. As he gave to us. When we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way. May we not be quick to write someone off. May we be quick, may we not be quick to deny that they've come to true saving faith. If we're truly acting as the church, we're seeking out people instead of canceling people. If we're truly acting as the church, then we have real conversations about the gospel. Not because we want to call everybody into question. We just want to make sure we understand what we're proclaiming. And if we don't see any evidence of the Holy Spirit, we don't call people out. We don't slander them on Facebook. We don't say they're just a lost cause. We lovingly call them to the true gospel. We're patient with them. We proclaim it over and over and over. But we have to be cautious and canceling someone or a group of people. When God said, I came 
so that everyone who calls on my name is saved. Do you believe that God shows no partiality? Do you believe that Jesus is the long-expected Messiah? Do you believe that Jesus is bringing peace between you and God and you and humanity? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord over your life, the anointed one, the one who took your curse from sin, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who's standing or you will stand before in judgment? Do you believe that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved? If so, that's going to change everything about you. If you're not sure, let's talk. I have all afternoon. Church, may we remember that God shows no partiality. May we be a people that proclaim the gospel to every person, regardless of what they say or believe or, or do or act. We just tell them of Jesus and love them. Let's preach the gospel to all with the firm hope that the word of God does not return void. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. I thank you for this service today that we are able to just really hear the gospel from the songs we've sung to the table set before us that you've set before us that you reminded us of who you are and what you've done and, and that you show no partiality and that you are calling people to confess sin and to believe in your name and, and you save them Lord, we want to be a people that proclaims the good news. You've, you, you've told us, I've given you my spirit so that you can go tell people about me. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to grab a brother or sister and go and, and do that, to, to do that as we work, to just show the gospel, how we've been changed as we walk down the road and we can talk to each other and just show the love of Christ. God, our world is dark and broken. But you say, blessed are the feet of those who publish peace. May we be those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon. 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.